0: morning. If you wonder who the new guy is visiting, <laughs> I've actually been here eight years. <laughs> I've been on lockdown for the last 14 months, so I may feel like a first-time visitor here. But uh, it's great to be back. I think um, you can tell that God is sovereign over a service when you recognize that all the testimonies have been prearranged for the message that we want to talk about here, because I, I, I heard um, the kinds of things that I want to talk about this morning uh, in terms of testimony. Um, in recent years, uh, a rather well-established genre has been created in social media. Am I too close, uh, or what am I? Okay. Yeah, a, a well-established genre in social media. It's called the Instagram deconversion announcement. <laughs> Recognize it? Um, it could be a former evangelical author like Josh Harris, who wrote the book uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. It could be a megachir- megachurch pastor like Jim Palmer. Uh, CCM star, Michael Gungor. Uh, it could be a 20-something person that you know. But it's a pretty familiar phenomenon. You get a rather somber-looking self-portrait of someone on um, Instagram, and then an explanation that begins something like this. I never thought I would say this, but. It's terrifying to post this, but. I'm no longer a Christian. Having taught university for 20 years, uh, I have... Seen that phenomenon before, uh, even before Instagram. Actually, 60% of people uh, raised in Christian churches at some point deconstruct their faith after high school. You recognize the term? I do want to clarify uh, before we get started on this. Um, deconstructing one's faith is often understood or perceived to, be, to mean demolition. So when people talk about um, they've been deconstructing their faith, The way it's often used is they're demolishing their faith and they're walking away. I would argue that is a misnomer. That's a misunderstanding. There's a difference between deconstructing and demolishing. I actually think by distinguishing those two, I think it's helpful for us to consider. uh, I want to focus on deconstruction, to, to take apart faith. When we are disappointed with God. And even the testimonies, the subtitle here, when he's not who you thought he was and won't do what you want. Luke chapter 24, this passage that we uh, just read, I think is example A of folks who have a failure in their faith system. Uh, Because nothing is making sense anymore to them. They had put all their chips on uh, Jesus, and seemingly lost it all on a Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock when he died on the cross. And Now they were in deep doubt. What, what, do, what do we do now when everything that we were banking on now makes no sense at all? I think there's some real parallels here for today. Because many are re-examining their faith and figuring out what exactly do I believe and Why? Uh, Sometimes uh, the doubt is driven by unresolved philosophical or theological, intellectual kind of issues. Sometimes it's circumstances that we go through that force us to re-examine what I believe because my my spiritual equilibrium is now out of whack. I taught university for 20 years. I taught urban ministry uh, for mostly white, upper-middle-class suburbanites, Kids who were raised in white families, lived in white communities, attended white churches, went to white Christian schools, and were committed mostly to a white Jesus. And then they came and spent a semester in a class with me on urban ministry, and we did a deep dive into seeing what God has to say about the city and holistic ministry and his concern for the poor and the marginalized, the reality of the abuse of the powerless by the powerful. We talked about structural sin instead of just personal sin. And I can't tell you the number of times students' faith was rattled. And it was a crisis of faith for them. They recognized at that point that they had been steeped in a flag-waving suburban white middle-class Republican version of Jesus and Christianity. And more than once, I can't tell you the number of students who would make the trip to my office and say, I have been in in church my whole life. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, youth group, Wednesday night, summer camp. Why have I never heard this before? Deep disappointment. And then they began deconstructing their belief system that they had been steeped in. It is a painful but necessary process in order to move forward. I did have to warn them about... The difference between deconstructing and demolishing their faith. I know tons who have simply walked away. And I also had to warn them that when you start asking questions and when you have some doubts about what you believe, you should prepare yourself. There's a whole lot of folks who are going to be very upset with you. So in Luke 24, everything that they had been steeped in their whole lives, all of their hope and confidence in Jesus about life and their future. Died with Jesus on the cross their belief system at that point they found out was just a house of cards and when Jesus went to the cross it collapsed and so you have this passage here that was just read the things that happened to Jesus when Jesus joins them along the road and says hey what have you guys been talking about and they are just overwhelmed with a sense of loss and confusion and doubt He was a man of God, a prophet, and yet um, our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death, and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one that was about to deliver Israel. Are we still getting a ring? Okay. Come back. Why were they disappointed? Why were they discouraged? What brought these guys to this place of just uh, rank confusion? It's because they had been steeped their whole lives up until that point with wrong ideas about the coming Messiah. You have to understand Israel was an occupied country. The Roman forces were everywhere, Roman garrisons, Roman soldiers, Roman taxes, Roman governors. It was Roman everything. They lived in a context of oppression. And so when they thought of the Messiah, they were thinking a political deliverer. There's going to come one who will be a conquering Messiah. He is going to crush Rome. He's going to straighten this mess out. And he's going to reestablish the golden age of Solomon. We are going to be world rulers again. The coming Messiah is going to make Israel great again. And if expectations are disappointments under construction... Jesus was a big disappointment. Can you hear it in their voices? We expected him to do this, and he didn't come through. We expected Jesus to do what we wanted him to do, and he didn't do any of it. I have heard it often with discouraged, disenchanted people over the course of 40 years in the ministry. Jesus has let me down. It's so disappointing. It's so discouraging. Don't tell me Jesus cares, because if he cared, this would be different. Sound familiar? Disappointment runs deep. My whole life, I've trusted Jesus. People say, I have lived a life of purity and obedience, and God was supposed to give me a godly spouse And by my senior year, there was not only no ring by spring, there was nobody on the horizon. And this is 15 years later now. 15 years later, I'm 37, I still come home to an empty apartment every day. Don't tell me Jesus cares. Countless couples, I can't even tell you. We have pleaded with God for a child. That's all we ever wanted, and this is our fifth miscarriage. Why would he deny that to us? Why does God taunt us? Former student, why would God take my father one month before my wedding? Colleague on the faculty where I taught. Great theologian. uh, Multiple books published. Great. Just a, just a great professor. His son was a heroin addict on the street. You found yourself in this spot. Jesus, you are not who I thought you were. Uh, I'm going to have to rethink what it means when I say, I follow you and I trust you. Now, rather than jump to a quick solution to that, can we sit in the tension of that for a while? Um... It's not a bad thing to take apart your faith and ask some hard questions. Um, Deconstruction is not the same as rejecting Jesus. As a matter of fact, deconstruction is not just has to do with faith. It's it's a process of of dismantling and evaluating anything, cultural norms, values, ideologies. It can become destructive. And there's a group, you may know about this, ex-evangelicals. People who have walked away from the faith out of evangelicalism. Uh, But not necessarily. Deconstruction deconstruction of our faith doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. Martin Luther, frankly, deconstructed Catholicism. (laughs) And the result is where you're at right now. Jesus uh, deconstructed the Judaism of his day. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Today. I think it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Many people are not leaving the church because they've lost their faith, but they're leaving the church to preserve their faith. They're not leaving church because they've become liberal. That's how my generation talks. They're leaving because of the hypocrisy of evangelicalism. Who have heard their entire lives that the Bible is a standard for faith and practice, and yet 80% of them deny in practice every value that they say supported by the Bible. They have traded every value for political power. There's a difference between rejecting Christianity and rejecting false Christianity. Who was it that said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong. It may be a sign that he is thinking Or in light of the American idiom, kicking the tires doesn't mean you hate the car. (laughs) Actually, I'm taking medicine that drives my mouth out. thought you should know that. Actually, we should expect people to deconstruct their faith and ask some hard questions If we understand how faith develops. Right. For example, uh, uh, let me describe a couple levels of faith. Stages of faith development, a person who first comes to faith, that's, that's often described as simplicity, a, a faith that is free of doubt. It's like when you Teach your children about Jesus. It's not like they have great theological questions or wrestling with stuff. It's like you take at face value what is being said from somebody that you trust. We do that as with adults also, with maybe a pastor or a friend or somebody. You don't really question it. Everything seems to be like just black and white absolutes. Now, that can be exploited by authoritative leaders, frankly. Uh, just as a side note, authoritative leaders can exploit that in that it keeps people... In a position, just just take what I say and don't question it. Uh, It actually keeps people in kind of like perpetual toddlerhood. Because if I bring up any questions, I shouldn't be bringing them up. Actually, the the only way, more than one person has said that, the only way one can grow or move on from this, you, you almost have to escape the gravitational pull of whoever has that kind of authority. You know, to say, okay, no, don't question, don't doubt, just take what I said. And frankly, if you believe that you have the perfect doctrinal statement, any question about it is to move away, is is to is to fall away from the faith. And that's oftentimes why people will get jerked out of, uh, jacked around with you because they feel like any question about the faith, you're departing from the faith. That's just not true. So. Somebody said, if, you, if it's scary for sinners to fall into the hands of an angry God, it's scary for doubters to fall into the hands of fellow Christians. They will uncork on you and question your spirituality and everything else. So if stage one is simplicity, a of, of faith free of doubt, stage two is complexity. This is, a, this is faith managing doubt. If you're growing, there comes a point in which simple answers, we have that down. Now I want more more depth, more information, there's some things that can foster that along and get us out of our own little echo chamber. You know, when you have friends from different cultures or different worldviews, if you have international experience, you find out, well, faith is bigger than my own little world here. And, you know, people have some different viewpoints on some of these things. And so you get beyond the simple questions to the point where you're saying, okay, where does the Bible come from? What does it mean when people talk about the inerrancy of Scripture? Uh, Why are certain things right or wrong? What about seeming contradictions in the Bible? When those kind of questions come along, I, I used to have a pastor friend that always used to say to people, the Bible has a clear answer for everything. <laughs> really? You don't have to go very far in life before you realize, <coughs> okay, I'm probably not going to get a whole lot of help on uh, solving differential equations from the Bible uh, or, or give me clear ethical guidelines on uh, artificial intelligence? Or is there life on other planets, you know, 100 billion galaxies? I mean, the the Bible has an answer for everything? I I think at this stage, we begin to lose confidence in that statement. And we recognize that there's no amount of learning that can fix all the problems that I have with faith. If I could solve it, if I knew everything clearly... If I had certainty be certainty about everything, I wouldn't have to walk by faith. I'll walk by sight. So Juan, when you're talking about stepping back, you know from some questions, I, I just I just feel this is a this is a big issue there. The church of all places ought to be a place where we can voice honest doubts. And when the attitude when it, when there is a corporate perception that, we don't question things around here. It will jam the gears. That's one of the reasons we've done the Faith in Exile series over the last six or seven weeks, to kind of wrestle through some hard questions. We don't often ask. Here's, here's level three is maturity. Maturity is faith in the midst of doubt. I think having walked with the Lord now for about 45 years, I think it's, I have often told people there are fewer and fewer hills I'm willing to die on. In terms of theology, that doesn't mean I have a weak faith. I'm just I'm just saying uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that we live with that I don't understand. I still trust God with it, but I don't have the answers figured out. And as a matter of fact, there's a whole lot of stuff that I just ha- I kind of have to recognize part and parcel of what it has meant to, be, to walk a walk a life of faith. We recognize the kind of naive assumptions about past. Faith. We recognize that the Bible is used to justify genocide of Native Americans. Where the movement West, you know, was, uh, we were the we were the spiritual Israel. We were taking the land of, we were moving into the promised land and we were, you know, eliminating all those uh, wicked Canaanites. The Bible was used to justify genocide on this continent. That's not new information to you. Bible was used to justify slavery. Bible was used to justify the oppression of women. I mean, we recognize there's just a whole lot of baggage that goes along with this stuff. If stage one and two is, if stage one and two says we believe that questions can be answered, stage three faith says those answers need to be questioned. And besides, when you add when you add a whole bunch of personalities that are in the mix about who identify with the life of faith um, that had made the news recently. Do you recognize these names? Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, Rabbi Zacharias? Martin Luther was strongly anti-Semitic. The guy who led me to the Lord went to prison for financial fraud. The financial advisor that I had in my, that was a member of the church where I was at, went to prison over financial fraud. So what am I saying with that? I'm just saying when you you start talking about a life of faith and what it means to trust Jesus and live out this life of faith, there's a whole lot of tension and a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of stuff that doesn't fit in terms of ideals. But at at a mature faith, here's what I would argue we learn to live with the questions. It's it's really the experience of Job, where Job, for 36 chapters, calls God under the dock and kind of wants God to explain himself. And finally, God just says, Job, wait a minute, where were you when I stretched out the heavens? Where were you when I laid the foundations of the universe? Job had to come to grips with the fact there's a whole lot of stuff he didn't understand, couldn't explain. He had to trust God by faith, and at that point he just said, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut, because I'm clearly out of my depth here. The cloud of unknowing. There's a whole lot of stuff that's above the rim, you know, things that I can't explain. So when we find ourselves on the road to Emmaus, with these guys, when a lot of our faith has been shattered what would jesus say to us here's what he doesn't say to those guys what he doesn't say is just listen just step back uh look within yourself figure out your own truth he doesn't just let them go on he doesn't just say okay uh, guys you do you you know he reconstructs their faith, and notice where he starts. He starts with Scripture. When he says to them, you're kind of slow-hearted, aren't you? Kind of thick. Why can't you simply believe all that the prophets said? Don't you see that the thing had to happen? Uh, he's, and starting at the beginning with the book of Moses, and went on through all the prophets, pointing out everything in the Scriptures that referred to him. I don't know how to back this up. Okay. We read the text, though. Here, um, I'm missing a slide. But here's the point. When, when they were uh, at their end because of their lack of understanding, because their faith that they had misunderstood about Jesus collapsed, what does Jesus do? He takes them back into the scriptures and starts from the beginning all the way through the book of Moses pointing out everything. He takes them back to the scriptures to rebuild, reconstruct their faith about who Jesus really is and what he is committed to do. Reconstruction could be deeply meaningful as a, part, as a phase of our journey. Now I think we have to avoid those whose only intent is to demolish faith I was reading a guy this week he said you know he was listening to he was listening to a lot of voices that were just trying to really demolish his faith and he said I came to the point that I thought this helping people to deconstruct their faith without also helping put it back together again is lazy irresponsible dangerous and isolating the goal of deconstruction should be greater faithfulness to Jesus So I kind of use this picture right here. If, if your only goal is to demolish faith, any sledgehammer will do. But if the goal is to recover a precious but tarnished faith, it is art restoration. You ever see how people do art restoration? It's like with a Q-tip. It Be very, very careful. You don't, do, you don't reconstruct faith with a sledgehammer. Walking away from the word, walking away from community is not the answer. We need, churches because we need churches that become places where those who are in construction or deconstruction and reconstruction can all pray and walk together. We need people whose doubts and questions push us to examine deeper questions and also where doubters can embrace faith and faithfully can honestly embrace their doubts. We don't need a coroner who can simply take things apart. We need a surgeon that is able to put stuff back together. So here's a blue point blueprint for reconstruction what do we do with this let me give you some suggestions there's that slide here's here's a here's a way to address this is this is really the conclusion i'm going to i'm going to give i'm going to draw about four different points of conclusion it's the takeaway value of what we're talking about here if we're going to reconstruct a faith that we have vastly kind of misread on some stuff uh, we have to practice being wrong. You know what I mean by that? There has to be a willingness to admit being wrong. It's called repentance. When I have misunderstood Scripture, when I have misunderstood Jesus, uh, these guys were struggling on the road to Emmaus because they believed wrong things about Jesus. That's why they were in doubt. That's why the, that's why their world had collapsed. They were believing wrong things about it. And frankly. Christians who believe passionately about something can produce a real arrogance and a pride. So we have to be willing to admit and confess and repent when we have believed wrong things. Why am I so disappointed with Jesus? Maybe it's because I haven't, I haven't understood him. I have put things on him that should not have been put there. Sometimes the church has to confess. The church has been on the wrong side of a whole lot of issues over the years. The church has been... The ones who embraced a flat earth at one point. That the earth was the center of the universe. Uh, slavery justified genocide. So, we have, to, we have to be willing to say, okay, maybe I took a wrong turn somewhere and my confusion and fog is my fault. Number two, um, don't walk away from the word. Jesus takes them to scripture. Scripture. What were they missing? What are we missing? It wasn't that our stuff wasn't in Scripture. It was there all along. They had just picked and chosen the stuff that really supported what they wanted. They wanted a political leader, and they fo- found Bible verses to support their conquering Messiah viewpoint. What they needed was fresh eyes, fresh voices. That's what we need as well. The temptation will be the same thing that was temptation in the garden. The same thing could have been a temptation at this point. When Jesus takes them back to the scripture to say, no, we don't want that. We want something else. To doubt. To believe that God's word can't be trusted. There's a kind of headiness that comes from walking away from scripture and just saying, okay, this has not worked out. I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm going to do me now. There's a kind of freedom that comes instantaneously with that, a kind of headiness that I have compared at other points of like your first ride in a convertible. It just is so free. It feels free to be, you know. Now, it's a fast track to greater discouragement, but to walk away from the word when I'm wrestling with doubt is a formula for disaster. Third... Don't walk away from a supportive community. Relationships who can help you. There's a tendency to withdraw. One, isn't there? There's a tendency to withdraw when something's not going right or I doubt or I'm struggling or whatever else. And especially we feel that if, we're gonna be critic- if we feel like we're going to be criticized for doubting. But I need people around me. I not only need scripture. I need the people around me who will help me process my struggles and my doubts People who are trustworthy, people who are not going to just use the sledgehammer to destroy my faith, but to help me do the restructuring, the art restoration. I would argue older people. Older people who have been around the... Does that sound self-serving? Amen. <laughs> There's a tendency in our culture, you understand, is to celebrate youth and marginalize uh. Older folks and the fact the fact of the matter is this isn't our first rodeo we've been around the block a few times right. even on these kinds of issues right. Amen. so and let me finish with this i think this is you're going to wonder what i mean by this embrace the process embrace the process disillusionment is part of the journey disillusionment in the faith is part of the journey Tozer writes, of the importance of the disillusionment for the Christian. Why? Because we have been given false messages about God over how many years? You have picked up wrong ideas about God, about what he would do, or what he's like, and they simply have been false messages. And we have to come to grips with, God will make a point to... To, do, to help us to do away with those things. That, those will be points of disillusionment. Because I've been giving false messages about, about God, what he would do, what he wouldn't do, then I'm trusting in false messages rather than who he really is. First church I pastored, uh, a woman was there whose uh, sister was uh, Down syndrome. And she said, uh, the faith denomination, she said, I grew up my whole life with people telling me, Donna, if you just have more faith, your sister will be healed. She had to be disinvested. Is that a word? She she had to come to grips with the fact that God never promised that. God never promised that. And if you put your hope and trust in things that God never promised, you're going to be disappointed a lot. And the tendency then will be to blame God. To be trusting God for stuff that he never promised. It's almost like, remember this trust fall thing when people were always, you know, you have folks line up behind you. And you the fact is, we're, we're stepping up to God and you're doing a trust fall and he said, he never promised to catch us doing that stuff. You know, so you just... <laughs> you know, to say things like, God will never let you down. Really? There are some things that he won't do for me. There are some things that he's going to put me through in terms of difficulties and trials. Frankly, the yeah. idea if I just follow Jesus, everything's going to be great, that's just bad theology. Yeah. Following God will be entirely painful and disruptive to your life. Yeah. Not in a bad way. <laughs> he was, in, the, in the long run, he's doing good. We know he loves us and he's doing good. But the fact of the matter is there's going to be some rough water in the process. Yeah. And sometimes he puts, like he did with the disciples, he put them in the boat and sent them into the storm. (laughs) The gift of disillusionment comes with the territory. Disillusionment is a gift from God who refuses to let us continue believing in stuff that he never promised. A disillusioned faith is worth celebrating. Believe that? Why? Because it will lead to something better. It will lead to truth. Part of deconstruction and reconstruction is wrestling with disillusionment. That's That's part of the journey. Part of a mature trust in Jesus is learning to be disappointed by him. Not because he doesn't love me, not because he intends evil for me, but because he knows he has to disinvest me of things that I believe about Him that are not true, and He wants to recalibrate my faith in the process. Jesus fed those five thousand on the hillside, and uh, oh, they loved it. They loved the free lunch, and then He preached. And then and then He preached a message on "I'm the bread of life," and they all left. They 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 liked. They liked if he would just promise them a free lunch every day, but he wasn't promising that. And then when they were, after they walked away, you know, the only people who were left were the disciples. And Jesus says, "Uh, you gonna go away too? What was their answer? Where are we gonna go? Where are we gonna go? Whatever disappointment we face with Jesus, whatever disappointments we walk, we experience in the walk of life, that's part of a good God doing a good work in our lives and intends good for us. He will do good. Do I believe? Uh, do I believe that? Do I take that by faith? Or do I, look at, do I experience all that stuff and just simply walk away and say, you know, this Jesus thing isn't working. I'm going to do me. Choice is up to you. Uh, there will be folks uh, praying. Uh, the prayer partners will be up here uh, available. If I'm more than willing to uh, be up here as well. Uh, uh, I'm going to pray, and then the musicians will finish up. So uh, let me pray. Father, sometimes the things of faith are hard. They're just hard to, hard to experience and hard to wrestle with. Um, But that's why you've called us, to walk a life of faith. And walking a life of faith also means that there are some challenges and difficulties that come along, some of which uh, are on us because we have believed things that are not true about you. Would you stretch our faith? Would you put our roots down deeper? Would you help us to find a deep joy in walking with you, knowing that you are doing good? You're doing good. Even in the tough times, you're doing good. Lord, if there are people here this morning who have never come by faith first of all to jesus for salvation lord i pray that you would help them to see that's step one that's step one and that you will help us as we walk through a, a life and faith of simplicity to complexity and to maturity we commit ourselves to you towards that end this morning in the name of jesus